couple weeks ago, uh, we started on a, a journey of sorts, a series, a new series of messages that we are entitling Holy Habits. It's really a discipleship series, a reminder of some of those spiritual disciplines that are uh, paramount. They are a part of our, our faith and our walk, our journey. We uh, talked extensively about the differences between uh, training and trying. And I think we gave ourselves permission to understand that our walk as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, is much more uh, understood through an ideal of training to be more like Christ, not trying on our own. And so this morning we're going to uh, jump into some of the practical aspects of the spiritual disciplines that uh, we celebrate and we train in as, as Christians. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, you remember experiencing a, a worse polar vortex than this morning? Remember how cold it got? Uh, I, I love it when it gets cold because I, I, I don't love it when it gets cold. I'm going to be honest. I don't love it. I love some of the things about cold, like the free slushy you get every time you sniff. That's disgusting. You're not supposed to laugh. But the other morning on Tuesday morning, I remember uh, walking out of the back of the house to get the car started before school. I take Ella to school every morning now, and <clears throat> I walked down the back steps of the car, and I did, I think, what some of us do in those moments where we hope things are going to work out for the best, and I began to talk to my car. Does anybody else talk to your car? My conversation with her went a little something like this. I don't know why she's a she, but she is, and it's weird, and it's okay. But as I was walking down the back steps of our porch and walking across the backyard towards the car, I, I was saying things like, you going to be all right this morning? You going you gonna to start today? Are you going to do what you need to do? Are you going to be all right? And I got in and babied her a little bit, sat down, put the key in, prayed. And I had experienced the hesitation on the days previous that led me to understand that I needed to talk to her that morning. I needed to ask her to do what maybe she couldn't do. And I turned the key and she let out a uh-uh sound. <laughs> so I borrowed Jess's car and got Ella to school and came back home and parked Jess's car close to mine and got the jumper cables out and charged the battery for a little bit and brought her back to life. <laughs> It warmed up that afternoon enough that I was able to drive home from the office with the same charge that I had put in the battery early that morning, and things were okay. And then Wednesday happened. Colder. I had the same conversation on my way down those back steps as I looked across the yard and saw the frost that was six inches thick. I said, are you going to be all right this morning? Sat down inside and put the key in, and she said, uh-uh. Even louder than the day before. So I called my friends who fix these sort of problems. Got the car started in the afternoon and taken over to the shop to get a new battery. Turns out there's a little sticker in your front windshield that tells you you're supposed to do something once a year. It was that time. So that quick battery change turned into four new tires and an inspection. What a blessing. I think we've all experienced that reality of our car not having the power it needs to do what it's supposed to do. 
This morning, I want to relate that reality that we experience in the mechanical world to our spiritual lives as well. In the issue of prayer, in the issue of experiencing the power of God in our life, that is how we experience it most often through the relationship we have with Almighty God that He offers us. I'm in awe again today. That the God, the creator of the universe, all we've sang today, all we've taken in uh, today has revealed God as this mighty, mighty king that he is. And the fact that God would desire to be in relationship with the likes of us, it should overwhelm us. It, It shouldn't be something that we pass off as obvious. It shouldn't be something that we pass off as just another thing. And when we experience life's issues, when we experience the the, the cold in life, how much more should we rely upon the power of God and make sure that our batteries are charged, that our our car is in working order? When it comes to our prayer lives, I, I wonder if any of you like me this morning would admit that there have been times in your life when your car doesn't start. There's been times in your life that maybe you've experienced the full battery charge, the full ability to engage in relationship with the Lord and conversation with Him through prayer. And there have been these seasons in your life when things just aren't turning over. Have any of you, like me, ever felt like the words you've said in prayer haven't meant much? That they haven't been very effective, that there's not a lot of power. Maybe you've admitted that your prayer life doesn't seem to be very uh, effective, or, or you've even wondered if the words that you've prayed are even heard by God. Is He really even going to do anything about the situation? Can I be the first this morning to remind you here and now that if you felt any one of those kinds of feelings, any part of that, you're in good company here today. We're real people with real experiences. We have experienced the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys of life. We've experienced seasons of prayer where we know we have met with God. And many of us have experienced those seasons of prayer where we don't know if he's even listening. We've asked those tough questions. I want you to know this morning that prayer is a unique spiritual discipline for us. It's something that we need trained in. We can learn to exercise our, our prayer muscles today and every day. And like most things, I, I think when we uh, come to something in life, we, we want to do it the right way, right? We want to do it well. We want to succeed in it. We want it to be a, a positive experience. We don't like doing things that are difficult or hard or, or we get them wrong or we don't seem to think that they're working. We oftentimes move on to something different. And when it comes to our, our prayer life, we want it to be a, a positive experience. We want to talk to God and we want God to talk to us. And when things get hard in the area of prayer, I think that's why a lot of people bail on, on, on a prayer life. Maybe you've seen a movie on prayer. You've experienced someone else's prayer life. You've heard testimony of someone else who is engaged in a conversation with God in such a way that all you can do is go, Oh, I wish I could do that. And because it hasn't come as naturally to, to you as it has to someone else, sometimes we just kind of throw it out and we say, That's just not how God's going to talk to me. That's just not how I'm going to talk to God. 
Again, as a discipline, as a spiritual discipline of being in communication with the King of kings and Lord of lords, this is something that we get to get right. Sometimes in experiences in life, maybe especially around spiritual matters, when we think things aren't going the way that they need to, when we've met a rough patch, when things aren't like they once were, we sometimes just toss them away. Can I be the reminderer this morning of the importance of understanding that to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow in it, to become more and more like Him, to become a disciple of His, to experience new levels of freedom and growth in our life? We need more interaction, communication, presence, more of his leading, more of his voice, more of his relationship. So how do we do it? How do we grow in the area of prayer? How do we communicate with our Heavenly Father in such a way where we know we have been storing up his power in our life? How do we know? How do we apply practical steps in our life? Do we simply look at someone else and say, okay, I hope that they're praying for me. I hope that my grandma's prayers are enough for me. I hope that someone is praying for me because it's just too tough. I want to remind you that we don't have to simply rely on someone else's prayers. And we're in good company this morning in asking how it is we are to communicate in a prayer life. The disciples in Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to look at the story this morning. The disciples themselves, those closest to Jesus, asked the question. I would love for you to take your Bible with me and turn to Luke chapter 11. And I want to remind you quickly, I want to take some time to do this. It's going to be so fun. Here we go. We've talked a lot. Uh Uh-oh. Did it work? Nope. It's going to work. Maybe. That works at home. Sandwiches just appear. It's amazing. (laughs) Yep, I'll pay for that one later. (laughs) Give me a second. I want to show you. I've told you guys about the Bible app, and I want to show you how to use it. We've done this once before. Let's try it one more time. Well, there's a Bible app. You can use it. You can find it. You can find it in your app store. It's just called Bible. Search for Bible. It's the number one Bible app. It's awesome. It's by Uversion, a church uh, out west. And they put it together. And it's a wonderful app. And every week we put an outline uh, in the Bible app. You can download the Bible app, find the events tab, and search for Hyde Wesleyan Church and find an outline of the message and scripture uh, right there in front of you. You can take notes in there. You can communicate with us that way. We'd love for you to do that. This morning, if you have your Bible app, or your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 11. It'll be on the screen for you. I want to read from the New Living Translation again this morning. As we read, I want to read this passage in depth, verses 1 through 13 together. Listen as the Lord's word speaks to your heart. Luke chapter 11. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. 
May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, Jesus says, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you said to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Jesus continues, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for the friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. To everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Before I pray, allow Jesus' response to the question, how do we pray to become life-giving to you again today? And know that God wants to be in relationship. The King of kings and Lord of lords loves and cares for you. Let me pray. Jesus, please add your blessing to the reading of your scripture. Please allow the words of your word to become life-giving and transformational to us again this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to focus specifically on what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer, verses 1 through 4. And uh, This interaction, this narrative is fascinating, isn't it? Jesus and his disciples, the cast of characters that are laid out here before us. We know who Jesus is. We know his disciples. We know their interaction. They've been uh, following Jesus for about three years of his earthly ministry now. They've been interacting, they've been traveling with him, they've been living on the road, they've been traveling from town to town, preaching, hearing the gospel presented in a relevant way. They, they've seen Jesus live out the words that he has expressed in his teaching. Uh, they've seen and heard him ad address crowds of people, and they've seen and heard him interact and heal one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. They've watched the example of Jesus not just uh, preach a word or talk a, a big game, but he has lived it out in front of them. And they, they're good disciples, right? They, they, they want to do what their master is doing. They are following after Jesus. And so they want to uh, live out his example. And here he is in a, a certain place praying. And I don't know what the sign was for him to be finished praying like it is for us when we go like this. Squeeze hands and open our eyes. Wake up. I don't know what Jesus was doing in the moment physically that they knew he's done praying. And I don't know how many disciples dared one of the other disciples to go up to him. But one disciple on behalf of the others goes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, teach us to pray. Like John has taught his disciples, would you, would you teach us how to do the same? And I think it's important as we read the story to point out what doesn't happen in the following verses. 
Jesus' disciples come up to him and say, would you teach us how to pray? Jesus doesn't say, all right, boys, sit down and grab your papyrus and your quill pens. Let's work through some stuff. Let's spend the next three days studying this topic of prayer. Jesus doesn't say, hold on, let me get that Amazon wish list of all the books on prayer that I can send you. Jesus doesn't say, "Uh, sure, you've heard it said. You uh, know all this old teaching. Jesus in this moment teaches such a simple outline of prayer that even your pastor can follow it this morning. What comes next in Jesus' teaching is what we've come for centuries to call and refer to as the Lord's Prayer. It's been recited in different translations in different languages across the whole world for centuries. And in other word-for-word translations, or even as we look back at the original text, what Jesus says here isn't exactly translated in the New Living Translation specifically, but Jesus uses this phrase. He says, when you pray... He uses that time particle in the, in the Greek to, to remind these disciples who are asking, how should we pray? Jesus says, when you do it. Again, I think it's important to note, he doesn't say, if you do it, but when. It's a requirement to be connected to our power source. Do you know that? I think it's worth noting. I wonder, though, if we're honest, how many of us would admit, admit this morning that a majority of our, our prayer is little more than pre-food or pre-bed ritual. Maybe we don't even think about what it is that we're doing. We've got the same lines every time. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. If you don't pray that prayer yet, you're welcome. Oftentimes in our lives, if we know the importance of prayer, but we, we pray such shallow thoughts. It just becomes so trivial. Just a, another thing to do when we don't take time to think about it. Some have said that they find prayer like breathing. That prayer is to our spiritual lives like breath is to our physical lives. It is absolutely essential. Much more than pre-food or pre-bed rituals. I like this idea. It's not that prayer is always easy, right? Just as breathing isn't always easy. Have you ever had labored breathing? Have you ever climbed a mountain, climbed a hill, walked across your backyard? I don't know what it is. But you've experienced those times when you're shallow of breath. I think there are times in our prayer lives where it feels forced or labored. Maybe we feel like we say the same words over and over again, that it becomes ritualistic or hollow. And yet other times, I hope you have experienced a time where in relationship with the Lord, in conversation with Him, you have experienced a deeply moving experience. The British missionary to India, William Carey, wrote this about prayer. He said, Secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. Prayer is essential. Elsewhere in Scripture, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 18, Paul uh, writes this, Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus teaches when we pray. 
Paul says pray all the time. Uh, people have said prayer is the uh, essential evidence. It is a requirement of our life. So when we pray, how is it to be done? Jesus gives us a beautiful outline. He starts with the word Father. Maybe you've memorized it from the King James Version, the Lord's Prayer, and you've said, Our Father, which art in heaven. Here in the New Living Translation, they, uh, they translate it just simply Father. Jesus starts with referencing the Creator of all things, the King of Kings, as our Father. He even uses a word here for Father in the original language. It speaks of a real relational father. This is not the, the, the broken earthly version of father that we know in our culture. Jesus is using a, a real relational term here that represents something far more. He's pointing out something revolutionary to his original disciples. These who have grown up knowing about God. Jesus uses a word to reference God as Father that would have been much different than the early Jews would have expected to reference the God of the universe. Jesus' use of Father at the start of this model prayer reminds us of the relationship that our Heavenly Father wants to have with His children. It is perfect love. Jesus continues, May your name be kept holy. Or again, in the King James, Hallowed be thy name. Right? We don't use the term hallowed very often, but we don't use the word holy very often. Jesus quickly acknowledges, and I love it, that just as important it is to remember that God is our Father, and He loves us as His children, His character, His holy perfection is to be held in high regard. Jesus doesn't fail to acknowledge the need to keep his name held to the highest understanding. He's not just our buddy. He's not just out there. He's not the big guy upstairs. He is our Holy Father. Jesus is saying it this way. God, your name is holy. Your name is who you are. It's your character. You, God, our Father, are holy and perfect. And then Jesus continues again, may your kingdom come soon. Jesus begins to talk about God's kingdom and his will. In the King James Version, we memorized it this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Let's go back to the basics of what it is to understand kingdom mindset here. Of where is a king a king? What is the kingdom of a king? The truth is... A king's kingdom is wherever the king is. And it's easy for us to understand or to believe or to say or to live out a lifestyle that says God is the king of the church. Right? Maybe even a broader spectrum. God is king of all things spiritual. He belongs in this spiritual realm. And by default, we kind of segment God out of the spiritual realm. We put him in this box over here, and then we live our real life, our normal life, our average life, our, our human life. We're guilty, I think, often of saying and living out that God is king of the church. Maybe that God is king of all things spiritual. But Jesus abolishes this idea of God only being kept inside of a box. 
He reminds us to pray for God's kingdom to come here, to come now for His will to be done here, to be done now for God to be king of the here and now requires us to understand that God does not simply turn on and turn off when it's convenient for us. This is a really tough prayer for us to pray. This is a really dangerous prayer for us to truly live out and understand. There's such a disconnect in our understanding between the words that we're able to pray in this model and what we really mean sometimes. Maybe we're guilty of saying things like, yes, I want God, God's kingdom. I want God to bring world peace. I want God to fix all of this. We want Him. Everything He has to offer, he, we want His perfection. We want Him to fix it all. But I, I think if we're honest, we don't live like we really want that. If we really wanted that, there'd be some lifestyle changes that come along with really wanting God's kingdom here and now. Really wanting God to be king of everything, of our business, of our home, of our schoolwork, of our job, of our entertainment, of the lifestyles we live. Instead, I think a majority of us are guilty of saying we want God to be king when it fits our agenda. Again, this is not what Jesus is praying for when he prays, may your kingdom come soon. Right here. Right now. May you be king of me. Would you be my king? I surrender everything. Jesus continues and goes on. He says, give us each day the food we need. I like that New Living Translation. Give us each day, the food we need. It's important here to note, I think, how Jesus continues on in this, uh, this model of prayer for us and his disciples. He starts with Father, reminding of the relationship. He talks about God's holiness, his perfection, that his name is to be hallowed, it's to be lifted up. Then he talks about his, God's kingdom, God's will, everything about him, more of God and less of me. And then only now... In that understanding, in that context of understanding, does Jesus begin to make a request for daily sustenance? Isn't it unfortunate? Do you ever feel, you ever feel this? It's unfortunate how, how often our prayers revolve around asking God for things. I'm, that's a normal reality in our culture. When we're praying for something, we're praying for God to do something. Hardly ever do we spend time revering God's name. Hardly ever do we ask for God's will to be done in our broken reality. More often than not, we're asking God to fix something. To make it like we think it should be. Friends, it is so important for this perspective to be ours. Jesus, by praying this phrase, is reminding us of where it is that our resources come from. They come from God. He's the source of all that we have, of all uh, that is available to us. He is the source. Jesus continues. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I think it's important to note that Jesus, in his model of prayer, doesn't pray a prayer. He doesn't model a prayer that says, forgive me, for I have sinned. He doesn't suggest that that should be on the top of our, our tongues initially. He says, ask God for forgiveness as you forgive others. 
Forgive me as I forgive others. Forgiveness, the truth is forgiveness requires forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive people. Amen? We've been given such a gift in grace that grace breeds grace. Love forces us, draws us to Love, transformation. What you've experienced, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Him, if He is King of King, King of Kings and Lord of Lords in your life, the response to that reality should transform everything. The truth is simply asking for forgiveness isn't a prerequisite for forgiveness. Just by asking for it doesn't mean that we get it. Rather, it's about the heart of the one requesting forgiveness. If I'm unwilling to forgive you for something you've done, if you are unforgiving to someone who has harmed you or your family, and you go before God to ask for His forgiveness, our offense to God is much, much, much greater than any human can offend us. It truly would be unreasonable for us to expect forgiveness from God. If you and I are not willing to offer forgiveness to our neighbor, to a family member, someone who has harmed us, God forgives the repentant heart. A sure sign of repentance, of truly seeking after forgiveness, of turning a 180, walking away from the way things were. Chief evidence of true repentance is a forgiving spirit, forgiving others. So that we can be forgiven. And finally Jesus says. And don't let us yield to temptation. Keep us from sin. Jesus closes out his model of prayer. By reminding us that temptation will continue. It is a part of daily life for all of us. Temptation is a reality of this world. We will be distracted. We will be tempted. But that temptation is not the sin. Yielding to it is. Giving into this world's temptation. The enemy's attempts at drawing us away from our true love. Giving into that is the sin. Paul wrote this to early Christians in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When, when you are tempted, God will show you a way out so that you can endure. What a promise. What a reminder. God does not tempt us. Amen? Rather... God is the one who gives us the way out. God offers us a way out of choosing the wrong path every time. Is it easy to choose that? Somebody should have shouted, no. It's not. Is it convenient? Nope. Is it normal? Mm -mm. But it's there. 
James writes this in James chapter 1. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. God blesses those who endure it. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away, drag us afar. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when that sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The power of temptation is real. The power of God to keep us from giving into it is stronger. God doesn't wish that any of us would trip up in this life's temptations. He empowers us to stand firm. He supplies us the way of escape so that we may be overcomers. We may be able to pray and say, Lord, keep me from sin. He offers that to you and to me. One more time reading through. This is how you should pray, Jesus says. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us this day, each day, the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. If your car is barely cranking today, if it's cold outside, if you're struggling, this is a great place to start. I would say, what better place than Jesus' model for prayer? Maybe you don't need to even expound on Jesus' model to prayer, right? We've developed great prayer models and great prayer ideas, but if you are experiencing life's barely cranking over days right now, this is a great place to start training, to becoming more like you are designed to be. More like God intends you to be. More in relationship with Him. Whatever translation you have, whichever gospel you read the Lord's Prayer from, find an opportunity to recite it. Allow each phrase to become life-giving to you. Allow this to be a, a beginning training point for your life today. Allow it to become a holy habit. Put it on a mirror. Put it on a post-it note. Put it on your visor. Put it on your phone. Spend time praying the Lord's Prayer. His words are not just words. They're transformational. They are life-giving. I want to close with a little clip. Interestingly, last week, part of my role at the funeral was to introduce some speakers, some conversation to share some words at the funeral about my experience with my cousin Bruce. And there was also some media stuff, some video clips that we showed as a part of that service. And this video clip was sent to me just a week before we had the funeral service. And it really shows something important in the life of my cousin Bruce. It features his young son and my cousin Bruce is behind him holding him on his lap and it's just a cell phone held up not a great video, 
but it shows a father teaching his son the importance of knowing the Lord's Prayer. And my cousin's youngest, who's still living, has this example forever, and all of us are going to have it in our hearts and minds right now, of a father teaching his son the importance of the life-giving aspects of the Lord's Prayer. Will you watch this clip? And lead us not into temptation. Will you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for these moments that we've shared together this morning. We thank you for the impact of your holy word upon our lives. We ask, I ask God, right here, right now, that if anyone in this room is in a season of their engine not turning over, if the reality of their relationship with you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is barely cranking. Lord, I pray that this model of prayer that Jesus gave to us, this simple reality, would be life-giving again. And God, I pray that we would refer to you as our Holy Father, understanding that in your perfectness you desire a relationship with us. And Lord, we do pray for your kingdom to be experienced here and now. We want more of you and less of us. We pray for you to sustain us and to give us our, our daily bread, the resources and needs that we have right here, right now, the needs before us. And Lord, by your Spirit, we pray that you would give us the strength to stand strong amidst temptation, to not be swayed by the common thought of this world, to not be tricked by the decoys of life. God, give us your grace. Again, we ask for more of you, more of your presence each and every day. And God, we ask that you would give us the strength to sustain in all that we do. Help us to bring you glory as we reflect your light. Go with us from this place. Unite us together continually. Lord, may our fellowship be sweet. May our sacrifice be worthy to you. We give you all the praise for who you are, for how you are working in our midst. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the peace of our Lord.